0: We're operating in a worldview and a theology. we are like, no, no, no. your relationship with the earth matters. Your relationship with your soul matters. There's this
1: place as an artist where everyone else is running for cover from the rain. You want to climb the church steeple and you want to get struck by lightning.
0: At the end of the day, you don't get a medal for being in pain and not taking anything. All you do is hurt everyone around you. John
2: kind of thinks for a moment and he
0: goes, This is the thing that I would want every young man to know. Moshi Moshi, and welcome back to the Ensons podcast. This week, we sat down with our buddy Mark Evans, who we actually didn't sit down with so much as Skyped in. And if you hear the audio difference, that's what's going on. But we actually think it turned out really well. And if you recognize the name, that's because you've been following Ensons magazine for a while and know that we did an article on Mark a while ago. But we felt like his story was worth retelling.
2: Mark is an internationally renowned artist, he does a pretty incredible form of leather etching and his story is absolutely amazing, from boyhood dreams of art to disillusionment with the art scene in the early 90s, to eventually finding his way through dedication to this craft. A lot of great gems in here of not embracing the identity of the outcast, even when you're living as an outsider, how to chase a vision when no one else can see it, and then how to create in your life with God. Hope you enjoy. Mark, what was that photo that you sent me? Recently? Yeah, you sent me, it, uh, the ca- it just said mob. And so I thought it was <sighs> a mob at first.
1: But it's yeah, like... yeah. Okay, cool. I'll send you some more. So when we came out to the um, advanced bootcamp in, I think it was Santa Cruz 2013, uh, we were getting advice off your dad. And he said, look, don't rush back to the UK and try and start a Wild at Heart boot bootcamp. Just do a Band of Brothers. Form five, six, seven guys, and start to tell your story. So we thought, okay, great. So we did that for probably faithfully every fortnight for about three years, and it got to the point where uh, Band of Brothers, and, and for sure on the text, it became B O B Band of Brothers. And then um, we started to realise there were a lot more kind of dangerous men that the uh, sort of not believers, people outside our immediate circle, that would really benefit from having some kind of men's connection group around a fire and we thought well i don't really want to do a, a, a invite other people you know people maybe from the criminal fraternity or just kind of unsavory dangerous characters really into my back garden so we said we need a, a some woodland where we can do it and then we said well if it grows it won't be a bob a bob it'll be a mob so we've just just become called mob and now 30 40 guys turn up in this secret forest, and um, yeah, so that that photo was was men around a fire pit. Dude, that is amazing. So I'll send you some more more photos. Do
2: it. That image is so compelling. That's also how most revolutions start. You realize you just described kind of the template for an insurrection of like guys in the forest uh, gathered on a fire, un- <laughs> <Right>. unsavory types. <laughs>
1: Starts calling themselves <laughs> yeah. a mob. Yeah, we figured we just need a cave, and then we, we we need a David and a cave, and then we're good to go.
2: Love it. What was your winter like? I mean, it seemed like you were packed with like travel shows. What what's the season you're just coming off of right now?
1: Yeah, I've been through a crazy whirlwind really of, of the last few months. So I thought it would be a nice quiet run up to Christmas and, and really enjoy that. But then. Around the end of October, uh, my PR agent said, "We really need to build some PR. Let's do a let's do a show quickly." So the gallery in in Mayfair said, "Look, we've got some space. Why don't you just hang some work and we'll do a small retrospective?" So that began in November. So then it suddenly just went crazy. It was just meeting after meeting, literally back to back meetings throughout uh, November. Uh, the BBC turned up to film. The show was put into uh, into national press. And suddenly it was, there was this kind of crazy whirlwind right throughout December. It, it, you know, when Christmas landed, it was very much a, a welcome break, just like the fire and ah, just yeah. so it, it wasn't quite my December that I expected. And then uh, just last week, we've heard. Uh, so back in 2012, 2013, uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, an incredible writer called Bart Gavigan, he's kind of father in the faith. He's like Yoda. He's... Uh, uh, an amazing guy was in the was training to be uh, a monk in the monastery and uh, was called from the monastery into into the film industry so i mean a real amazing journey and uh, grew up in a tough uh, irish background um but a really beautiful guy so uh, back in 2012 2013 he asked me to be involved with him on a short film and um, we worked together and i ended up being a producer and uh, co-funded the film and just found out that it's been nominated for a BAFTA, which is the British Academy Award. Come on. So it's just been this crazy couple of months where it's like, what, how did that, that was my first ever short film we produced, and we're like now up for an Academy Award. Well, so it's been a mad few months, mate, but um, trying to trying to find some rest and some joy in there too, you know?
2: And this is totally apart from producing art for Saudi Arabian princes right
1: <laughs> yeah yeah that's a separate thing <laughs> it yeah. hasn't
2: even come on uh, yeah
1: yeah so um yeah i'm trying to kind of divide my life between um kind of commercial projects and um conceptual kind of passion projects and juggling all that along with kids and a dog and I'm trying to trying to hold a, a marriage together as well as in you know, the it's just this, this, this explosive mix but um <laughs> yeah That's kind of my life in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, it feels like the nozzle got turned up to 10 recently.
1: Yeah, it really did.
0: We would love to go back. Okay. Many of our listeners probably aren't familiar with your
2: story, haven't read uh, anything we've written about your work or your relationship with art. Would you mind just giving us a, a quick telling of how you became a professional artist and then... Uh, kind yeah. of your transition out of the art academy into something um, much more daring and visceral.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I live in London now, but I uh, I was brought up on a farm in North Wales. So um, uh, similar in in a way to kind of the spirit of Colorado—just beautiful mountain vistas, lakes, rivers, forests. It was just a stunning place, you know, to spend my boyhood. Um, and it was very much an outdoor life, canoeing and Rock jumping and you know just that was my boyhood um and yet whilst the the other lads were kind of playing on their atari, I was out in the woods um when I was seven years old my grandfather gave me a pocket knife and uh, I just used to spend my boyhood kind of carving through tree bark and there was something very um I guess it was kind of kid gang related just playing you know marking your territory and marking your your little uh, secret code in the forest on the trees. Yes, Yeah, on a subconscious level, there was this, um, you know, you're marking through the tree bark, uh, which can be shades of brown or gray or, you know, whatever tree you're you're marking. And then you cut through the bark um, into the phloem and then the xylem, which is essentially the water, the roots and the kind of the vein structure of the tree. Uh, to be able to feed itself. And and the brighter, the deeper you carve, the brighter the outcome. It's kind of you cut through this kind of lime green or this creamy color, and the deeper you go, it's this this bright white kind of flesh inside the tree. And so that was my kind of subconscious beginnings. Um, and then fast forward into my teens and 20s. I was, uh, I was a painter and photographer and worked in charcoals and oils and more conventional means. And I moved from uh, Wales, uh, from the farm, down to London with these kind of boyhood dreams of becoming a real painter and being brought under the wing of some gray haired, grand uh, kind of Royal Academy master, you know, and I would be really taught how to paint. And that was at least my boyhood dream, kind of like Luke Skywalker would find his Obi-Wan. Um, but when I arrived in London in 95, uh, the YBA, which is the young British artists were exploding. And I was told the painting is dead and uh, the conceptual, uh, had taken over so I kind of my whole trip to London was just thrown off balance um, and then I had to kind of find my way I was just a fish out of water I constantly felt I was going against the flow against the grain until I just kind of muddled through and just felt like the outsider until about 2000 when my wife bought me a leather jacket and uh, it was on Christmas and the day after on Boxing Day on the 26th I had an accident with my grandmother and and a cat and ended up getting blood on this brand new one-day-old jacket. And I was trying to clean the blood out, and it wouldn't come out with a cloth. So I thought, I'll go back to my boyhood knives and try and scratch the blood off the leather. And boom, that was was God's thunderbolt, my Archimedes eureka moment. And um, that blood on the jacket fused with the boyhood uh, tree bark carving that was kind of the, the cocktail that, that it was the beginnings of what I do now.
2: Mark, I never realized you were such a scientist. I don't think I've ever heard the word xylem in a sentence before this conversation. Uh, seriously, I'm thinking <laughs>
0: most guys that probably go out carving into trees have no idea what they're looking at, let alone what the uh, uh, the botany behind it is. Uh,
1: yeah, well, interestingly, I, um, I hung out just this summer with uh, one of the world's leading botanists, and he's breeding rare... Uh, strands and variants of peanuts out in Brazil. And he was what? telling me all about it. So I, yeah I, I only learned about it this summer. All the technical names. But oh, yeah,
0: I've got goodness. some
1: crazy friends.
0: I am so struck by your arrival in London where you have like this this idea of kind of where you're going to be going and what you're going to be receiving, um, looking for mentorship and kind of stepping in the direction of your dreams and in like a assumed yeah. path and then be told and almost immediately yeah that's not really going to happen and really we're going this direction and even from from the very outset just completely blown off blown off course like how old were you when that happened
1: so i was 20 i moved to london in 95 um and actually that was a a very um kind of explosive difficult time for me because it was that same year that i found faith that i my whole life was transformed because i was just a, you know sex, drugs, rock and roll, heathen prior to that. So I came to London that year and had my world turned on its head. And uh, and suddenly I was in London utterly different and uh, knowing nobody. So it wasn't only my kind of creative journey that was turned upside down. My spiritual world was also turned on its head. So it was definitely a turbulent time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely, definitely do.
2: I just remember you telling me one time in a conversation about the development of your art and the people you were showing it to that yeah it required this kind of brave uh intentional you know i have a vision and i'm going to and i'm going to keep doing it i've i've discovered something that is just full of meaning and potential and i'm going to go after that yeah thinking back on that period can you remember what was required of you like what you had to do in order uh, to keep moving into what was really an unexplored medium of leather etching.
1: That was a really interesting time, kind of a difficult time, but also my heart was so alive, you know, every day. Um, so I just had no money, um, n- newly wed, um, trying to support a wife. And and yet there was this crazy dream in me that... Um, I just believe I saw the invisible. I I knew it was possible somewhere deep inside me. I knew it was possible. And yet, people around me were saying, You can't offer clients something that you don't know that you can do. But somewhere deep, I'm they hadn't seen physical evidence that I could do it. But somewhere deep inside me, I knew I could. It was just having enough breakthrough moments. Um, I think, you know, being an artist, there's always that. You you have to kind of learn to reject rejection. So I'm you know I remember even meeting ex girlfriends where you turn up on the doorstep where it's the night where you've got to meet their parents. You know it's like the big night or whatever, and uh, you walk in. Oh yeah, I'm Mark. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet. And what do you do, Mark? Oh, I'm an art student. You can sense that kind of the horror, like the color just fall out of their face. Like get rid of him. (laughs) Yeah. So you've kind of had this. uh, There's this internal kind of intestinal fortitude you have to develop I think and it says in Revelation that you're you know we're not allowed to add or take away from any words in the Bible but there's that um there's that little bit where Jesus says I want you to be as shrewd as a serpent but and as gentle as a dove and in my version I've wrote and you need the skin of a rhino Um, because I think in in order to kind of combat the the world you just have to be so thick-skinned um and just kind of you know it's literally getting knocked down again and again and again and just getting back up and just getting back up more times than you get knocked down but there's this kind of deep burning passion that i i I could see the invisible you know
0: uh love that aspect of getting back up i'm curious was that naturally your disposition or was even that something that you needed to learn over the course of your you know teens 20s striving towards this dream and people saying "You're like, yeah you know this would be better if you were a banker i'd really love it if my daughter was dating a banker um <laughs> personally like i i think i know a lot of young guys and myself included that that doesn't seem like my baseline my baseline wasn't uh that rhino skin my baseline was closer to you know i i got rejected by this job or by this school or by this dream and i don't know like what's a bad idea or what's something I need to like keep persevering through? Is that just something that's innate to you? People would have said, you know, Mark, he's, he's a tenacious guy. Or was that something that you like intentionally practice? Do
1: you know what? I I think both. I mean, my parents called me Mark. And when I came to faith, you know, I started looking at what does it mean? And the name Mark comes from Mars, which means warlike. And people say, that's just you. I'm just, I'm a proper scrapper like William Wallace. I've always been a scrapper as a kid. And so there is that kind of part of me, that natural bent to just want to pick up and, you know, uh, the the gla- you know, glass half full, like, let's just try again. But um, that only goes so far that you get, you know, winded enough times, you get kind of broken ribs enough times that, that there are those times when you literally are knocked out and you think, I, I can't, I just can't go on. And, and you know, you, you're desperate to throw the, the white towel in or for somebody to raise the white flag or whatever. Um, and I think at those times it's where truly becoming a Christ follower, having Jesus living in you. I, I remember having, a, of getting knocked out real bad one time. It was, it was, it was terror. And I thought I'm so far out of my depth. I'm going to lose everything. And I'm not, sort of often prone to have visions but I remember this this one time I was kind of done I, I my wife said it was she felt like it was a kind of a breakdown for me um you know I was outside in the flower bed you know what I mean just KO'd by pressure talking honestly and vulnerably it was it was hard it was a bad knockout and around that time I remember being in my studio and kind of going off in some sort of trance and I I saw myself facing It's hard to explain, but the thing I was facing kind of looked like some ugly, bald urukai, some kind of evil thing out of The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, some evil thing. And I sensed myself looking at it across some sort of valley, maybe like a Goliath metaphor. And I could sense in this vision I was very, very afraid. I was truly, I knew I couldn't beat this one. I I knew it had overpowered me. And then in this vision I had this sense that Jesus was calling as crazy as it sounds. Jesus was calling me behind this bush. And I was off to my right, I saw him. He was like, Come here, come here. And he was calling me behind a bush. So I just wandered behind this bush. And as I went there, he was stood with a sword looking at me really intently. And he and he held the sword out to my jaw, my lower jaw, and held it up to my bottom teeth and cut me right down through my jaw, through my neck, through my ribs, as if he opened me out like um. Than if you've seen any of the Vikings, like a blood eagle, like a front. Like I could see all my insides, like my ribs open. Holy shit. I know. Do you know what I'm saying? And it was like opening a wetsuit, like a front, front zip wetsuit kind of thing. And I could see everything. And then he got, put the sword down and got inside me and zipped me up. And I was stood there like, oh uh, and I started to dawn on me. And then I could sense this the urukai, evil, evil thing taunting me. And then I walked out from behind the bush alone, and it, I could sense it sneering at me. And then it realised, oh my gosh, what is in him? And I just felt so. See, in my answer to your question is: it that is it A or is it B? My answer is yes, yes. There is that tenacious thing that's kind of native to me, but also you come to a place where you some battles you can't win alone, and it's there where this thing that we call Christianity, this, this thing, this faith has to become real and he has to be born in you. Do you know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, it has to be very real.
2: You just make me think of, uh, when I was applying, you know, with a really bizarre project to graduate programs in this odd hybrid field, I would just put up the rejection letters from universities on the wall. And I just set one, even as my you know, desktop background yeah. of just the, you know, you know, we don't see this project working. Like, thanks for your interest. Like, de- looks like you might need more before you're ready for professional study. And it's just kind of my way of being like, you know what? You can go yeah, to hell. Yeah. Like I am freaking doing this. Yeah, but there's yeah. totally even here describing like that works for a while. And that defiance is was really helpful for me to have like as kind of this burning like, you know. I, I will turn uh, your doubt against you and use it as a fuel, but eventually you you need this whole other thing, which is, it actually does have to be the site where Jesus is after something, where there's some maturity, some relationship, uh, something that he wants to develop. And I'm just curious of, can you think of what the thing was that he's like, yeah, the the circumstances, your life as an artist, but what I'm... What I'm hoping you'll become is this.
1: Oh, that's a good question. I don't think there's ever one answer what he's after, um, or or at least not a simple answer. I think it was was definitely a few things. Um, One was great relationships, deep relationships. So in those moments when your own fight uh, isn't enough, and then you have to have the spiritual connection that has to be very real and earthed out and, and... incarnate in you i think so one of the things was brothering it, fathering is not easy to find fathers are rare but that was a real season where i had to find when i didn't believe anymore i had to find men who looked me in the eye and said we've we know your story we know you we believe so that was one big thing for me to become vulnerable enough and that was part of the band of brothers the 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 men around the fire pit that was um so vital that, that was one thing um I think the other was, was truly, he was going after fear in me. I've had a lot of fear as a boy, partly uh, a family brought up in superstition, people dying young in the family and, and you know, kind of coming from a, a difficult place. Um, he was really going after pressure, exposes the cracks. And I think he was definitely wanting me to really look at where, what place do I go to? Um, do I default to faith or fear? I think that was one thing. and I think there's something about being uh, intimidated, intimidated when you are intimidated. That word right at the heart, obviously is timid, intimidated. And I found myself becoming more and more timid when I was afraid and realizing, wow, I I would have done a bold move here, but I'm just either gently stepping backwards. And so it was really learning to how to change my defaults and, uh, and realize this is not just me and my crazy. Mm. it's it's something um and i think that's the thing with being an artist is is you you kind of do think you're crazy most of the time and you've got to make sure that you don't uh, part of that's okay it's like okay i'm off peace that's okay i'm off grid but you want to make sure that you don't make an agreement about yourself that i am literally just nuts you know um so it's this fine balance you know
0: totally I'm i'm so struck by uh, how true that is for pursuing any dream. Um, because, you know, a lot of guys, maybe it's opening a business or, you know, starting a group of guys or writing a book or becoming uh, a visual artist. And I just remember like the pull to safety. Like when I looked, I graduated from college and looked around and like most of the guys that I knew were either kind of companying up is what we called it. You know, like they're going to get the entry level. They're going to they're going to be the mailboy for a while until they can work their way up the office. And then there were others that just kind of knew they weren't going to do that, but you know they weren't quite sure what if they were like ready to commit to whatever their dream was. And then there was that select few that I I certainly wasn't a category in for at least a couple of years until I did kind of take the leap into writing more. That like hey, you look absurd, you look like you are just running counter to yeah, all the
1: advice that people want to
0: give absolutely. you absolutely
1: but you know I've, I've always loved peter of all the apostles of all the disciples i've always loved him and it's that one story of you know a fisherman who knew water he knew waves he knew storms but all 12 are in the boat and and yet this one crazy has this kind of he gets thunderstruck and of all the 12 he says "Whoa, whoa, whoa can i come out and do that and it's peter that steps out of the boat and for a moment however long that moment is we don't know he had that experience that same experience where the water surface took his weight <gasps> and 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 forever i you know i often think about this he he was able to speak to his kids or his wife or his family or whoever i felt what it felt like for that moment until doubt came in and he <gasps> went down and then jesus had to pull him up and and, you know, I often think about this story about, you know, what's what's not said. Um, me and my writing friends, we, we call it the white text. It, it's, where, you know, the black text and the red text. And then there's the white text that you you have to read between the lines. And, you know, you seeing him sort of sat in the back of the boat, drenched. You know, Jesus would have had a bit of wet maybe on the bottom of his robe, kind of where the water splashed around his ankles. He stayed up. But Peter would have been drenched and sat in the boat and kind of maybe his uh, – I, I think about the, the look on his face, you know, where – he, he he kind of would partly maybe his tail between his legs and kind of head hung low and sat there shaking. But then inside him, there would have been that little gleam, that twinkle in his eyes. I did it for a moment, you know? And maybe there was a couple of other disciples like scorning, like, you idiot. So yeah, I've, I've always loved that kind of spirit, that mm-hmm. almost ready, fire, aim kind of thing. Um, we're not quite ready, but let's try.
2: <laughs> it feels like there is such a subtle but a massive distinction between uh, embracing its identity. I'm just crazy. I'm crazy. I'm, you know, the person who's off the grid. And I actually am a visionary in the sense that there is something that I can Mm. see that is valid and worth risking towards. Mm. It feels like even that story is, you know, one incredible way of situating yourself within like, yes, the objective attributes look the same between madness and vision, but I'm choosing towards the vision yeah. side. Is that something that you have to actively do as someone who's, you know, it's not like you've stopped taking risks year to year as an artist or even day to day?
1: Mm. Okay. On the healthy side of this, I had an experience out in Switzerland, uh, just maybe October, November, and we went to a client uh, gallery and I went to a client's house up in the mountains above Lugano. And um, we, we kind of came back. I, I dropped asleep at midnight and boom, 5 a.m. I was wide awake. And I'd had five hours of sleep and I couldn't So I was in the hotel, beautiful mountain lake outside the hotel. I just, just couldn't sleep. And every thought I had at 5 a.m. just felt stupid. Every idea I had, took my laptop with me, all my ideas, they just seemed stupid. This will never work. Why do you even bother all that was playing in my mind. It was just everything felt like failure, felt like a dirge, felt low and crushed. And uh, unusually for me, I, when I'm awake, I wake early. I'm awake. I see I'm up. Yes. And I thought I felt my eyes rolling. I thought, Do you know what? i want to have another nap. I was away, didn't have kids, so um, alone in the hotel room. I passed out again. Just just after five, maybe twenty past five. Fast asleep. Bam! Woke up at ten a.m. this time, which is un- unheard of for me. And every idea I had seemed amazing. Every thought, every idea that five hours sleep deprived earlier seemed crazy. It all now looked so brilliant that this is exactly what you have to do. So my journey, you know, with three kids, um, we've had a lot of sleep deprivation. And I, you know, there's a lot of pressure when I run a business and I I have wages to pay. It's those 3 a.m. moments where you wake up with the night terrors and then you can't sleep. And then it's three, four nights where you don't sleep. And you really understand why the Japanese use sleep deprivation as a form of torture because you can go into madness. Yes. And so that little experience in Switzerland was very much, it was like five hours, everything's madness. Five more hours sleep, everything's awesome. <laughs> totally. I, I've got to really, I've got to look after my health. That, that was what I've got to lear- learn how important rest is in the battle. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you could slip to the madness side of the, of the, of the coin.
2: Yeah, the young Ailish is three months old right now, which means a uh, considerable amount of sleep yeah, deprivation, yeah. and it—it it is amazing that, like, you think there would be some freebies with, like, you know what? I'm exhausted, but it's still a night, but I'm not going to think about anything. But it feels like there is something um, in the creative mind. That is just going to be active at that time and is unusually vulnerable to despair oh, right around four o'clock.
1: Dude, honestly, when I grew up as a Brit on, on Roald Dahl stories. And um, Roald Dahl, I think it's the BFG. Um, oh, yeah. Where they call it the witching hour, where little Sophie wakes up in the orphanage in the witching hour. And man, it, I, I get that. Those real crazy, sleep. I mean, there are moments where you wake up and you know it's God and that you, there's this sense of, ah, quick, get your journal, write this down, this is good. But often it's not, it's darkness. And it's this sense where you, you feel like you've been crushed by life, you know?
2: Oh man, I actually have a rule where I don't believe any of my assessments between about <laughs> 10 p.m. and 5 yeah. a.m. the next morning. And yeah. I'll literally, you know, be in the middle of the night, I'm up and I'm... Um, you know, changing it or something, they'll have something and then just the dialogue will take place. they like, yeah, that's a good point, whoever you are. But also, I don't think about this stuff for another eight hours. So yeah, i come back good. in the
0: morning. Yeah. I tried telling Susie that and she didn't take to it super well. <laughs> <laughs> she, she took it a little personally. <laughs> yeah, I love that you're bringing up Ailish Blaine because it does make, it evokes some questions that I have for you, Mark, of like your kids and the things that you... I would tell them there's obviously uh appropriate seasons and things that you mm. kind of want to be um bringing things to the table and, and they're they're on the younger side right now yeah but when they are you know kind of 18 19 20 entering a, a similar season for you where it was a real a tipping point uh, or at least at the beginning of, of that journey mm. are there some things that come to mind that you that you want to be able to tell your kids
1: yeah i mean um it's very hard to project into the future what i want to tell them because you kind of live out um, you know moment i can't quite imagine what it would be like at that point so my kids are 12 10 and 7 right now so the most immediate story just uh, kind of off the cuff is um so oscar my 7 year old son he is a phenomenal drummer uh, and he's drum teacher uh, he's been drumming since we well, we came to um to the outpost in 2012 the summer of 2012 we on an rv trip and we were up uh, in in an RV site in Colorado and Oscar just got all these logs, just they were sat around a fire and he kind of crawled out there and toddled out and he took the the, uh, marshmallow stick and a a spoon and starts drumming on these, on these logs. So he's drummed and then on pots and pans and he has been a drummer just on the, all the pans on the floor since he was two years old. So we've known it's in him and, uh, and yet he battles with so much fear so um, he did a, a talent show. He booked it in um, 18 months ago to do the school talent show. And just coming up to that talent show, this was on December the 16th as the school's closing for Christmas. Suddenly for it, all of his confidence just flooded out of him. And he was crying. He wouldn't sleep at night. He said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I can't do it. And just to be able to walk him through how irrational these fears were was such a huge thing. Uh, he was, he was absolutely adamant that the, the, the fear was real. I'm not, I hey, hate you, dad. I can't do it. You're making me do it. I was like, no, no, son, I'm not making you do it. It's in you. And, and I think if you don't do it, you're going to, re- re- you're going to regret it. And it's going to, I think you just need to take a step forward into the fear because our dreams often exist. The, the, the bridge between where we are now and our dream, the bridge looks like fear and you just have to walk that bridge. And seeing this little seven-year-old boy actually listen to me and Jane, me and his mom, and do it and face it and drum to ACDC. And and he was awesome. So there's these lessons I've learned, you know, just from facing things. That, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to uh, kind of impart these little lessons.
0: Uh, it's like that is such a different uh, approach that I feel like most, like a stereotypical parent would say, right? I feel like the stereotype is the, no, like we're here, you're doing this, get in there. It's like that hard... Sort of demanding, so to hear your voice as like I'm not forcing you. I'm actually calling you into this and inviting you into this, and and ushering that that's just that's I think that's really kind.
1: Yeah, and it was a, it was a you know front, little picture, a little metaphor, really. So he was adamant out, out even the morning of the talent show. I'm not doing it, Dad. I'm not doing it. So I went in to speak to the headmaster, and uh, I said, "Look, Oscar's terrified." And, and the headmaster said, "Why don't you just bring the drums in and let him choose." i was like okay so you know Oscar was like no dad no so i i pulled up outside school and it was just happened to be at lunchtime at playtime i pulled up in my in my truck i've got an american truck so the back was up and open and all of his drums were out and as i pulled past the school all of his friends saw me start shouting oscar your dad your dad and they saw the shiny drums gleaming out the back and they all start shouting oscar your drums are here and, and as I pulled into the school, I took a video and then I got told off by one of the teachers, you're not allowed to film the children. But in this video on my phone, I said, who wants to see Oscar drum? And the whole playground was me. And Oscar just stood there swelling with this sense of, oh, my gosh, they believe in me. And so it was this this kind of almost a, and he, and he did, so I'm drumming, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And his friends, and they created a swell in his heart and courage to be able to pull it off. So it, it couldn't have been done alone, you know.
2: <laughs> oh man, that is so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Liam Neeson, eat your heart out. <laughs> um, I'd love to ask some questions about where your art is right now. Okay. A slight turn uh, to the fact that you've been, you know, kind of pushing the boundaries of this form of leather etching for a really long time 10, 15 years almost. Yeah,
1: l- longer. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, what is it? currently in the medium that makes it a satisfying place to continue your journey as an artist?
1: There's a couple of things. Um, On a kind of tangible, just sexy, seductive level, I love walking into a gallery. So my work, as I said, was Hung Before Christmas down in Mayfair. And I had really important people coming in from the worlds of media and finance. and, and, And there's that first take where they stand and look at this piece could be six foot by five foot and they think wow that's a lovely photo and then just as they walk past it there's this turn of the light where there's a collision of 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 the beautiful gloss meeting the matte cuttings and the slicings engravings there's just this surface this pattern of it's, that's so evocative for me it's just truly primal I, I love the it's something very sexy and visceral about leather I love it um so that's kind of on a your kind of tangible level um yes on deep, on a deeper level i think you know i'm working in in skin that's there was it was a living tissue and i had an encounter last christmas um just in the shower and uh I hope i don't get too emotional talking about this but i had a true encounter in the shower and just you know the, the ipod had been on and all the christmas carols had been on and i was just in the shower singing hark the herald angels sing and I got to the verse that talks about the, uh, the Godhead. Let's so if I can remember the lyrics. Um,
2: that veiled in flesh, the Godhead sea. That's
1: it, veiled in flesh, the Godhead sea. Hail, incarnate deity. I, I, I was in bits in the shower. I literally, I, I, my eyes were opened and I saw the God who created the cosmos was clothed in flesh, incarnate, and and my old uh, agent was Italian. Incarnate, carne is meat. Chili con carne means chili with meat. <laughs> God in God with skin on, and suddenly I realised the incarnation was that this cosmic God outside of time took on flesh, and I had the revelation of Christmas all wrapped up in the work I do in skin. And so, so right now where I am, I'm working on some really elaborate detailed graphic pieces for, um, some of the Saudi Royal family. And I'm working on these beautiful, uh, Arabian stallions and I'm working on these, these kind of, uh, really powerful, potent tigers, you know, thank God they, they sell and they feed my family and keep the lights on. And then there's this secret series that I'm working on that's all about the cosmos and, I'm fascinated by, so there's a lot of upheaval in the world, whether it's Brexit or Trump or ISIS, there's this tension, there's these tectonic shifts in the planet and what's going on. And I was sat with a client a year ago around that same Christmas and um, he showed me some uh, photos on his phone of when he flew into a volcano, like you do, you know, and I was like, "What? what are these photos? And he showed me this photo of, of him coming down in, the, in a helicopter and landing near the crust and showing, taking photos of, of the magma, and I was just stunned by it. And, and I, as I left him, I had this epiphany of we we say we're meant to build on solid rock. You know, the, the Morgan has this analogy of you can only go as high up as you dig down. It's all about digging foundations. And I and I know we have to build on bedrock and we build our lives on bedrock. And Jesus says we go through the sand to the rock. And suddenly I realized oh my gosh, you keep going down through the rock, you get to fire. And I realized rock is not solid at that point, it's liquid. And I had this revelation that it, that's why I love skin so much. It, it's the outer layer of human contact. It's the outer crust below which lies something far more potent. And um, I'm making all these pieces of my kind of secret series. It's all about the cosmology. It's actually a series of portraits not physical portraits, it, but it's about, That's very hard to explain, I have to show you, but that's where I'm going, the Immaculate Maid Carnate, and um, uh, this, there's a little hint on my Instagram of me exploding all these um, elements, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that series, it's the most dynamic work I've ever done.
2: Oh, dude, I, <laughs> I want to see it, you just made, you just, <laughs> yeah. you just reminded me, um, I'm not sure how closely this connects, but I was doing some writing recently, and I was looking up like I know there are different, you know, Hebrew words for male and female, as there are for man and woman, and how do those work? And I like, you know, I stumbled on this article on like the study of each individual character in the Torah, in the yeah. text, and how both man and woman have like the Ish and the Sha, like letters from the name of God uh letter yeah. from God's name, then, but they're set in between uh, the letters of the word for fire. And wow, the writer was just pointing out, like, if you remove the yod, uh, you have aleph, Sheen, ash, meaning fire in Hebrew. And so you wow. have like this consuming fire into which is set the image of God uh, as its you know wow. animating, He's stabilizing saying. force, but it totally feels like just what you're you know discovering about you keep pushing on the foundation and you get to something truly like um i don't know dynamic and explosive that sounds that work sounds
1: phenomenal yeah absolutely so yeah i'm i'm so excited about this series so um that's definitely where i'm going
2: whatever happened to the photographs that you took of boxers
1: on ah the boxing well that that's a technical issue I think the boxing series has become my Everest. It's technically so hard to, to do what I want to do with the boxes. So I've got these black and white images of boxes, which is, is straightforward. I, I could work on those. I've got enough experience to pull those off, but there's these topographical photographs from, from odd angles. Uh, and it's all these blurs of color. And it's taken me two years to try and figure out technically how to get the color blends and, i reading, been reading Bear Grylls' book and, and how they keep trying to uh, attain Everest and they keep failing. And for me, the boxing color series is just my Everest. It's just out of reach. Technically, I haven't quite got there yet. I'm doing things in leather that have never been done. So I thought, hang on a minute, why don't I just leave Everest? It's not going anywhere, back up a bit, and let's kind of look at K2 or Kilimanjaro or something and, and work on something that's technically more achievable which is my next season, my next series of uh, of this kind of cosmos, magma work. So the boxing will come.
0: I feel like isn't it just inherent that we would create, have, have something out there that is Everest, that is like just let's keep taking it to the next level, on the next level, on the next level, and hoping to have this, uh, this art that we have in our minds. Uh, I think of like that for me in words, like I would love to write a phenomenal novel. And it exists, but not yet. And, and like it yeah. can almost help me in the meantime as I like will wrestle and push through. Yeah,
1: things. it's kind of out there in the mythical beyond. It's there, you know, and, and you 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 feel it. You mythically feel it. You may not know what the, the 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 plot's about or the characters, but you sense that it's there, kind of calling to you. Yeah.
2: Yes, and that even sounds like one of the skills of the experienced artist is being able to differentiate between what are obstacles. And what are long-term massive projects like that one? I'm just gonna leave for a while. Like,
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: It kind of feels like that's just one of the things that you do or learn as an artist to like keep your heart, you know, alive and well. Yeah, exactly. It makes me curious about what are what are some of the key things for you in kind of stewarding your heart as an artist. What do you do to
1: keep that well? As an artist, I mean, just looking at the new ideas, um, just seeing my new, so I, I do a lot of sketches digitally. I play in Photoshop and capture one a lot. That's why I try and make all my mistakes because you can't make mistakes on leather. So just seeing those images, the things I've created, man, that just, it floods me with rush of excitement. So that, that's a real buoyancy aid for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's it's good, kind of old school, kind of primeval stuff, just connecting with Jane, connecting with the guys around a fire. That's be, I've realized how important that is, especially in a, a digital age where, you know, it's all text and Instagram and whatnot. I think to, to be able to have heartfelt human connections um, is it, something that's dying for many people. Their lives are so busy that, for me, that's just kept me, that's really kept me on an even keel. Um, having good people that know me, that can kind of call me out when I need it, you know, and just, just playing. I think that's something I need to get much better at is just, just playing with the kids and just getting out with the dog and just doing nothing. I find doing nothing so hard, but mm-hmm. when I've broken through that, I love it. And that's, um, yeah, pottering—we call it in in London, England—just to potter around doing nothing, <laughs> taking time out, you know, or, or be yeah, definitely outdoors. I need the, I need more outdoors.
2: I don't think there actually is an English translation of the word uh,
1: pottering. It's like moseying. It's kind of you're just uh, yeah, you. I don't know, just slowing down and pottering. It evokes like
0: a man in like a bathrobe in this backyard to me which you <laughs> yeah. love to do <laughs> so like yeah. no judgment there but uh, uh yeah mark it feels like you just described not only what you need as an artist but what we need for genuine soul care um regardless of, of what yeah. else is going on the outdoors male relationships the absence of technology for however brief a time we can get yeah that's a it's a really good recipe
1: yeah, someone said to me oh, fairly recently. They said, you know, they haven't heard me singing in a while, and maybe it's a Welshman thing. I don't know we sing, you know. I think if I'm singing, it could be in the shower, could be just walking around the house, could be at working. There's something about a song, "Song of the King." There's this something about. I know my soul and my heart in a good place when a song comes off my lips without me knowing it, you know, without me having to uh, drag it out. Uh, when I'm not doing great, I just go quiet, you know. So mm. that's that's quite a good barometer for me to know how I'm doing.
0: Do you have a song you find yourself going back to most frequently? Uh,
1: do you know what? I don't because I've now got kids who all have different Spotify. It tends to be whatever's going on in the house. <laughs> um, and Oscar's a proper drummer, so uh, it's a lot of old, old rock tracks, you know. Listening to teaching him. Uh. Um, yeah, I do. I do. Oddly, I do love. The old, some of the old Christmas hymns, the old carols, man. Oh, us too. Just just rolling out of that season. Yeah, mate. So powerful.
2: Seriously. I I look forward to Christmas almost for the opportunity to sing all verses of We Three Kings. Because when it gets to the moment of myrrh, have I, the bitter perfume breeds life of gathering (laughs) gloom. I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) Was this king who freaking brought this stuff to anoint him for burial? Like, that guy must have been the biggest yeah. bummer of a guy. <laughs> like, I'm going to bring gold. Yeah. I'm going to bring Frankenstein. like, you know what? I'm going to anoint him for his yeah. death. <laughs> but yeah. I'm just like, man, guy, I love thinking about what, what that dude must
0: have been like, uh, you know, to have yeah, been the one totally. commissioned to anoint him for his death. I was enjoying the fact that uh, for Ailish and how much singing to your daughter has been soothing how like wonderful it was to be in the holiday season because there's just no end of songs kind of drifting around the house or people are picking up whether it's rudolph good king wenceslas just all of these different like you know for them from the vapid to the profane and the profound
2: uh, it just kills me though because like we sing her so many songs and, and we're singing like oh come all you faithful in latin like these beautiful things and like her favorite song is rudolph the red (laughs) and like that's the one that she like
1: lights up and stabilizes too i'm like
2: man come on man this like this is like the
1: worst song (laughs) yeah there's there's something kind of um there's a video i must share it It, it's um it's these kind of football kind of bruises it's the you know in, in british culture the football yob culture where they go out and they go to a football match and then they all fight in the street you know that beer kind of culture, there's a, uh, a video where all these guys get into a bar and they just sing. And make this video, it's like three, four minutes long, it wrecks me. I'll have to post it to you.
2: Oh, It's it something
1: long. about men singing. It's just like, what? I mean, as I said, it might be a Welsh thing that we Welsh sing, but I don't think so. I think it's a human thing. But it's definitely part of me kind of knowing ah, all is well with the world, you know?
0: Yeah, it's a nice barometer internally.
1: Yeah.
2: Speaking more to young men, uh, speaking to the young artist, I wondered if you even could think of, uh, if you were to separate your development as an artist into like five-year chunks, is there different advice you would give a young artist in the first five years and the second five years? Like, you know, when you're starting out for for that first half decade, think about
0: this, cultivate this. What would those things be? Or is that question even telling? Is it the first decade and then the second decade?
1: I've drawn a lot of strength, weirdly. This is going to separate the religious from the non-religious. I've drawn a lot of strength from an old ACDC song, from when Bon Scott was the singer. It's called, uh, It's a Long Way to the Top If You Want to Rock and Roll. And I've just got that literally constantly on my iPhone playing. And he talks about how hard it's been i mean just the batterings they've had as a a band and for me i think that's that's the first thing is you've got to go into it um i mean you know okay let's so we're talking about art we live in this sort of awful microwave generation where you know 30 seconds on an instant meal seems to take too long it's like oh you're waiting for it or you're waiting for the scroll bar to something to load on you know on your on your mac uh, and there's this sort of um, culture within, certainly singing arts, of of the overnight success. Whether it's these kind of shows like um, US Idol or whatever we X Factor we have here, um, where suddenly you're kind of an overnight star, or an overnight sensation, and ah oh, man, it's just so not true. It's just this fake, sugar-coated, hollow reality of it. it just takes digging a lot of digging i mean that you know a, a lot of hard hard graft and 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 you might make pieces and um create things that you're just not that proud of at the time but you're doing it for the right reasons at the right time just to kind of keep taking steps keep moving forward i think keep you know like i said like he says it's a long way to the top so um that would be the kind of one of the first things I would I would tell somebody in terms of lessons through through decades, I think really it's very difficult for me to say this um, in an abstract sense because it would have to be tailored to an individual. But if I could go back and speak to me uh, when I was younger, I think I would say to myself, it's okay to read more. I, I find myself in this sense of, oh, I'm reading the book. Why am I not working? You know, "Oh, I've got this kind of, I, I'm doing slow down and just read just because re- there's uh i would need to so having time to really be well read i think it just broadens your horizons how <sighs> what would i say to I'm, I'm i think the biggest thing if i could say this, it's to people is and, I'm, and this is a huge lesson i have to look in the mirror first and say this is switch the iphone off more get off that stuff it's such a distraction um I went on a holiday to Greece, and I, I uh, this was just last summer, and I made that kind of big step of, I'm not going to take my phone. And people are like, you're crazy. You're running a business. How are you not going to take your phone? And it felt like cold turkey. Like, you know, I, 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 the taxi came to pick us up with all our suitcases, and it was like, do I take it, do I not? And I just threw the phone in the house, slammed the door, locked the house, and right off the airport, go quick. And I could feel myself on the way to the airport. Oh, no, my phone. What have I done? What have I done? You're an idiot. <laughs> and that was it. I was on the plane. It was too late. And oh man, I I heard my own thoughts again. So that would be a big lesson to t- find time to shut that thing off and listen to what's going on inside.
2: Is this the wrong time to say that Sam and I both have our phones on the table right now?
0: Because... Well, I've
1: got my phone to my <laughs> ear.
0: <laughs> oh, just that, that phrase, I heard my own thoughts again. I, uh, it's, yeah. That's really good.
1: I mean, you know, they're, they're a blessing as well. You know, we're talking now because of these phones, but it's just knowing how to put boundaries around it.
2: Yeah, it really is. And I, what I love hearing you say is to resist the frenzy, uh, to actually, uh, shift away from the massive pull of just fast, the fast moving modern world. It actually does take what look like radical steps. Like, kind of trying to titrate off of technology is fine, but it does feel like uh, to experience something truly different, it takes like the horrifying risk of like, I'm not going to bring my phone with me on this trip or like, you know what, I'm not going to bring my charger because I know it's going to die. And then I'll kind of be like, I will need a massive material constraint to keep me from getting back on that thing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm also struck by I mean we've had this this conversation a lot about the way that sort of that you know x factor success winning the lottery um, affects like our generation's idea of of like of work and of success and of, of time used well because I know a lot of guys that you know we're putting in the time you know, busing tables while we are working towards other dreams, and at the same time, you know, we're logging on Instagram and we're seeing these people who are and uh, you know supposedly raking in the money just because they've got a bunch of followers and they're able to do you know product placement and you're like wait this guy's yeah. 14 and he's ma- he just made more in the last 2 days than I've made you know in the last couple of weeks so then the person that makes the app that you know they make a million dollars yeah. or a billion dollars overnight billionaire yeah. yeah right and like there's sort of this idea that that could happen to you and if it's not happening to mm. you then you know somehow you're actually failing or you're wasting your time, um, and so then that long road of excavation actually loses its dignity and becomes like you're a fool, you're a fool for not yeah. figuring out how to you know become the overnight rock star.
1: Absolutely, and I have this with there are other artists who, I won't say any names, but there, there are other artists who, a crazy successful pop artist, and they're selling hundreds and thousands of pieces a year, knocking them out, knocking them out, knocking them out, raking in tens, hundreds of millions. And there's that pull to, whoa, why am I not doing that? And then I actually look at the work. And I, and you know, when you knock out a piece, two, three pieces a day, I, and it's me, I think maybe the older you get, you want to be able to stand the test of time and have a legacy. And I would love you know, like they say of a Patek Philippe watch, that you never actually own one. You just look after it for your son or your grandson to uh, to create work that is still speaking when we're gone. That that to me, that cuts right against the kind of X Factor spirit. And um, and that just you've got to dig. You know, you've got to dig out yourself, dig out, down into the deep place of your soul, because. If you're ever going to speak, I think this is, you know, one of the questions you wrote down about craftsmen and and artists and is there a difference? Um, I think a craftsman certainly is incredibly talented. So, you know, you can have an incredible skill Um, but there's some difference with, and and I probably consider myself a craftsman. And then there's this other thing where the artist. so, you know, in London when it rains, um, Everybody runs under their umbrellas and tries to get in a taxi. But there's this place in an artist, as an artist, where you want to, when everyone else is running for cover from the rain, you want to climb the church steeple and you want to get struck by lightning because <laughs> you want to live the rest of your life as a lightning conductor. And then it's in those moments where you consider yourself, I'm an artist. So I'm an artist who has a craft, you know? yeah. so it, it, getting struck by lightning and living like that, you, you've got to climb the high places and it takes time. I think um maybe just one last story. Um Picasso was on the uh, on the south of France and a lady came up to him. Uh a couple, husband and wife and, and the husband said look, I'd like you to commission a portrait of my wife. And um he said oh, oh well, okay, you know, he kind of they convinced him to do it and and she sat down and he pulled out his pad and with his charcoal done. And uh, he turned to the husband and said, "That'll be however many francs." And the wife sat there, and said, "What? It took you two minutes?" And he looked her in the eye and he said, "No, madam, it took me forty years." And uh, there's something in that—just these decades and decades of pushing.
2: That's so killer. You know, my last question would be about in the in the day to day when you've committed to such a long process. What are you defining as success, or what are you using as your uh, barometer for achievement or for being on track uh, when the process is really, really slow? What do you What do you look for to define success as it relates to your journey as an artist right now?
1: Oh, it, it, I think one of the battles, one of the earlier questions you asked me about is what was Jesus going after in those times. I think probably what I didn't say um, is it, where we find our validation. Because if I f- find my own validation by how much a piece sold for, or or did it turn out the way I wanted, or uh, what are people saying about it when it gets to the gallery, I, I think living like that, I'm learning. Um, and I mean, it's lovely when it goes great and people you know love a piece or, or whatever, but it's how you Keep yourself stable and buoyant when it doesn't. Maybe that's a big conversation when we sit there with cigars. That's maybe a, a, we could just talk about just this one thing, you know, that this is kind of coming from an internal shift in me from being a fighter and a scrapper to becoming a son. And that's a huge shift. But uh, yeah, maybe we should do another chat about that one.
2: Amen. That sounds great to me. I'm already looking forward to that conversation with... her. With a cigar yeah. in hand. Can't wait for you to be out here, man. Yeah, me too.
1: I'm very excited.
0: Mark, uh, if you don't do this, we're going to do it for you. So uh, where can some of our guys go to find out and see some of the stuff you've worked on?
1: Okay, so uh, online there's my Instagram. Uh, that's quite a good kind of back catalog of, of some work. Um, that's Mark Evans Art. Um, my new website is just being built. should be ready in the next couple of weeks. That's MarkEvansArt.com. And yeah, and uh, I'm kind of a secret little plan happening. I'm I'm hoping to um, to be opening a studio in California because uh, I want to start creating work just for the U.S. market. So um, yeah, I mean this is in the next couple of years, but yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. That's, that's a dream that, that's working on. Yeah,
0: very cool. Thanks for giving us some of your time today. It's great to have a conversation. Oh man,
1: pleasure.
2: Thanks, Mark. It's been
0: awesome. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. You need to be sure to subscribe now and follow us on social media under Anson's Sons Magazine. And of course, for articles and films, check out
2: AnsonsMagazine.com.